Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Warriors. I am your host, Margot, and I am back with a crazy military story for you today. For any first timers, don't be freaked out that you might not know anything about the military because people come to my show for the true crime and they stay for the true crime. The military part is just a bonus. And well, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. So grab a seat and stay a while. This last week, I had the honor to be on podcast row at CrimeCon House Arrest. And for those of you wondering, what in the world did this girl get herself into? CrimeCon is the largest true crime convention in the world. I think. I'm pretty sure, though. Anyhow, they bring in top true crime professionals, including investigators, psychologists, investigative journalists to chat all things true crime. I was lucky to be invited to set up a virtual booth on podcast row where I was able to meet some pretty amazing people. But listen, stick around after today's credits when you hear my daughter and you can hear all about my CrimeCon house arrest experience. I also wanted to give a quick mention that the merch store is officially open in Tee Public, and it will be open for two weeks. So get your merch while you can. I'm going to drop a link in my show notes. You can also go over to my website, click the merch link and it'll take you right there. But right now, the show must go on. Today's episode came recommended from a listener at CrimeCon. So I just want to thank Susan P. so much for recommending today's case. And for all of you wondering, this is somewhat of a mini episode because I couldn't find much information. It's been a while since the Air Force has been on the hot seat. Uh, Oh, wait, not really. I did one two weeks ago. It was the family annihilator. But two weeks ago seems like forever. Anyway, today I turned my attention to Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina, circa 1993. A seemingly happy couple took the turn for the absolute worst after partying the night away at the NCO club on Bates. Join me today as I discuss the dismemberment of Michelle Tarek. Now, let's dig in. My sources for today's story include articles from AP News, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and the Charlotte Observer. I scoured the internet and old newspaper articles looking for more information, but I found none. So here goes. Douglas Turek graduated from Norwin High School in North Huntington, Pennsylvania in 1987. While in high school, he was dating Michelle Marone, and she was two years behind him in school. So after he graduated, he decided to join the military and in 1988, he enlisted in the Air Force. Michelle and Douglas continued to see each other and their relationship was going strong even though they were separated by distance. Michelle though, soon graduated from high school in 1989 and before she went to meet up with her boo thing, she went and got a degree in business and by 1990, July 6th of that year, Michelle and Douglas walked into a courthouse in Austin, Texas, and they tied the knot. Michelle was not too keen on spending tons of money and getting into debt before marriage. So they axed the entire idea of a big wedding and they did what most military people do. And they did a justice of the peace. 
Douglas was stationed in Texas at the time, so he was always working. And Michelle, the businesswoman, went on to work for a local state farm insurance firm. So she was working and they had, they were married, they were living together, everything. She was a sharp employee, according to the state farm insurance firm that she worked for. She was always punctual and always a worker bee, excited to be at work. After the couple spent time in Texas, Douglas received PCS orders, which means they got an assignment from one base to the next. And now they were heading to Seymour Johnson in North Carolina. Now, it's 1992 and Douglas had been assigned to the 344th Air Refueling Squadron as an engine maintenance specialist. Michelle Tarek, 21 years old by now, was working with the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Michelle was a smart little cookie. According to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, there was an entry exam for this EPA position that she was working and Michelle scored so high that she started off making more money than she originally anticipated. What? Win-win. She's amazing. And of course, the higher salary made the commute more bearable. While her husband was at Seymour Johnson, Michelle commuted to her new job every single day. And the commute was a long drive. And she was driving from Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, which is located in Goldsboro, North Carolina, all the way to Raleigh. She had a hefty commute. It was something like when I Googled it on my cell phone, it was 60 plus miles each way. Now, let me tell you, that sounds like insanity to me personally. I mean, I know a lot of people who commute this much every single day. And that's why people love podcasts now, because it really just makes your drive and your commute go by so much more quickly. But you have to remember, my story today takes place in the 90s. So Michelle had neither a cell phone or podcast to listen to. So she was a dang trooper, in my personal opinion. While the couple was stationed in North Carolina, they had returned home twice, once for Easter and again for Memorial Day. And they had plans to visit Pennsylvania on Thanksgiving, but that visit would never take place. On Saturday, August 21st, 1993, Michelle called her mom, Janet Marone, and this call was a weekly thing, like a standing telephone chat to discuss the week, how things were going, and basically just to do a check-in. The phone call was a little earlier in the day this particular week because Michelle and Douglas had plans to go out that night. Before ending the call, Michelle told her mom that she was going to have a daiquiri for her mom that night to let her know she was thinking of her. Michelle and Douglas got dressed to go out and they went to the on-base non-commissioned officers club. Now, he was just a senior airman at the time of the story, but I think during this time, the NCO club was for all enlisted members. In any event, witnesses described that the couple was having drinks all night long and they left before the club shut down and they shut down at about midnight. And then no one heard or saw the couple for close to 24 hours until police dispatch on the military base received the oddest phone call. It was 10 p.m. on Sunday night on base. I imagine that military police on an Air Force base are just sitting back, not really taking care of too much crime because what kind of crime takes place on a military base on a Sunday night anyway? I bet some young security forces member answered the call and the caller said the most bizarre thing. He said, quote, I just killed my wife and you can find her in the kitchen, end quote. It's unclear from the news articles that I read what happened next, but I'm assuming the man on the phone gave his on-base address because within minutes, security forces are at his on-base residence. The security police arrive at the house 
And when they enter, they notice that the house looks particularly clean. Nothing amiss looks to have occurred. But when they get to the kitchen, they find a letter on the refrigerator and it's a three page letter. They begin to read it and it is pretty scary. They slowly open the refrigerator and they make a gruesome discovery. Various garbage bags. And when they remove the garbage bags and open them, they find Michelle Tarek. She had been dismembered. Now, I'm not a betting woman, but if I was, I bet the person who opened those bags lost the contents of their stomachs right then and there. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The Seymour Johnson Security Forces Police called in the Goldsboro, North Carolina Police Department to hunt for Douglas because he was nowhere to be found. But they wouldn't have to look too hard. Because at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, another call came in to the Seymour Johnson Security Forces office. This time, the man identified himself as Douglas Turak, the man that they had been looking for. And he told them that he wanted to turn himself in, but he wanted them to meet him on the highway. They were like, "Okay, sure, we'll meet you wherever. Tell us where you are. The police show up at the agreed-upon location, which was off of US-70 at Walnut Creek, and there is Douglas sitting in his pickup truck. The police start to shout instructions. Show us your hands! Show us your hands! But Douglas is being defiant. Then, as they approach, Douglas grabs a 22 caliber pistol, puts it to the side of his head, and pulls the trigger. Police run to his aid and shockingly, Douglas was still alive. He was then taken to the hospital. After the murder, people close to Michelle tried to figure out if there were warning signs. 
Michelle's mother said that Michelle never disclosed any marital issues, only that Douglas had mood swings. But Michelle's previous employer at State Farm saw something else. She knew that Michelle was the personality in her relationship, meaning she was the one with personality. She loved people, but Douglas hated being around others. It felt as if Michelle carried the relationship or the marriage. And well, she had lots of friends and Douglas was not a fan of friends and he didn't want her to have any. But Michelle must have suffered in silence because everyone they chatted with said they never suspected anything with the couple. After shooting himself, Douglas made it to the Pitt County Memorial Hospital in Greenville, North Carolina, and he was hanging on for dear life. Although he was listed in critical condition, which, you know, is expected from a gunshot at point blank range to the head. But not even a full day after he shot himself, Douglas died at the hospital, leaving so many questions for investigators, for Michelle's family, and also for his own family. Albert Turek, Douglas's dad, was interviewed by Jonna Pro of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And Albert was equally shocked by the news of the last 72 hours. He told Jonna, quote, I really don't know what to say. You read about it, you see it on TV, and you think it's never going to happen to you. But when it hits, it really hits hard, end quote. Albert was most shocked because he had no clue what went wrong. He spoke to his son twice a month, and he last spoke with his son on August 15th, which was just a few days before everything went down. And they talked about Thanksgiving. In fact, the conversation was about whether Michelle and Douglas should drive up on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving or if they should just drive on actual Thanksgiving. Now, Douglas gave no indication of marital problems. You know, what I found most interesting about this case was how the family spoke of the couple, almost like Maybe there was something wrong with the couple, but maybe not. Maybe they just didn't see it until after the fact. But, you know, it's always hard to dissect what people say when they are in a moment of distress. Albert, Douglas's dad, said, for example, quote, everything seemed fine. That's a devastating part. He worshipped that girl. He was very protective of her. She had just gotten a decent job and they were just starting to be prosperous, end quote. And y'all, what he says next is the kicker for me. He says, quote, he told me everything was under control, end quote. Excuse me? What, what does this mean? When was it not under control? And why would someone say that? So I don't know. I found that statement somewhat suspect and odd. But again, I don't know what he was feeling when he said that. Michelle's mom also said something to Jana. That was also odd, considering the circumstances. Janet, Michelle's mom, said, quote, she, meaning Michelle, said Doug loved her and that was it. She seemed to really love him, end quote. I mean, I'm sorry, I, did, did Michelle say that she loved him back or did she just seem to love him? Not that it matters for the purposes of trying to figure it out, but maybe there was something there that Michelle just didn't want to talk about, which seems like that is probably the case. With regards to whether Douglas was having any issues at work or was having any disciplinary issues, according to the public affairs office at the base at the time, Douglas was doing well. Even though the Air Force was reducing its force at the time, he had been approved for a second enlistment. So he seemed to be a pretty good troop. 
The Goldboro Police Department indicated that they would not be releasing the contents of the three-page letter left on the refrigerator because they didn't believe anyone else was involved. And I guess they just didn't feel it necessary to release the, the letter. Of the letter, it was said that Douglas doesn't explain what happened in the letter, just that he had a nightmare. And then when he walked into the kitchen, he realized it wasn't a nightmare at all. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Of the case, the Goldsboro PD said it was the worst case they had seen in over 25 years. Because this is a murder-suicide, I am left only to speculate about what happened. And I believe that because it was so sudden, maybe something happened at the NCO club that upset Douglas and made him snap. Maybe Michelle got too close to someone or someone got too close to her and that set Douglas off. Something clearly happened, but I guess we'll never know what. All right, that's it for today's case. I wish there was more to cover for this one, but there really isn't. I think this is one of those cases that people on military bases around the world don't like to think about. You never want to believe that a murder can happen on a military installation. It's supposed to be a safe place. But you know, sometimes, and this goes for civilians and military members, sometimes when you turn on your house alarm at the end of the night, the most dangerous person or the person most likely to kill you is sleeping right next to you. Woof! That sucks. All right. You can all find me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and on Facebook at Military True Crime. As always, this show was created and produced by Mama Margot Productions and by my fan club members. And the music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. And if you're interested in hearing about my crime con experience, make sure that you stay for after the credits. Shh, let's work another podcast. Welcome to Mama Margot After Dark. <laughs> and listen, that's legit because it's after 10 p.m. right now and it's the day of crime con house arrest. So I am absolutely beat.
So as I mentioned, CrimeCon is a really big deal in the true crime community. CrimeCon 2020 was supposed to take place in May of this year in Orlando, Florida. And you all don't know that, but I was so excited to attend this year as a spectator. I was so souped up for it that I purchased a VIP ticket because I'm that much of a true crime nerd. I even had the perfect Disney trip planned out for the week leading up to CrimeCon. And when I say Mama Margot goes big all the time, I mean it. I booked my family for the Animal Kingdom Lodge that week. I woke up at the butt crack of dawn to sign up for our fast passes the day that it opened up. And mind you, we were going to be there for five days. So I was I had pre-scheduled every single thing. I was so obsessive about visiting Disney that I was listening to podcasts about how to plan a Disney trip. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yes, 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 there are podcasts about how to build a Disney trip. And I listened to it because I am that crazy. Anyway, we all know what happened, right? Effing COVID ruined my perfect family Disney trip. But most devastating, it ruined my CrimeCon solo trip because, you know, I was going to send my hubby home and the kids home so that I could completely fangirl over all of my favorite true crime peeps. Oh, my goodness. Well, CrimeCon, of course, must go on with or without COVID. And the creators of CrimeCon created CrimeCon House Arrest, which is a virtual event because it all basically is still practically on lockdown. I was talking to one of my um, podcast friends or my YouTube friends up at in Montreal, and they've been shut down for about six weeks now or more. So I got invited to set up a booth on Podcast Row at CrimeCon House Arrest, which was an absolute honor. I mean, seriously, when I got the email, I like almost peed myself. But, you know, I am a solo podcast host. So for the most part, I was beep-bopping alone in my virtual booth. So you have this virtual booth. It's set up. I have my desk set up in my closet and um, I have no shame. I didn't put a green screen on or anything. I just kind of kept it kind of dark, had my little light over here and I was in my closet doing my thing. (laughs) So it was lots of fun. Um, But I was proudly showcasing my dark closet and I chatted with folks. It was really cool because people would hop in and out of the virtual rooms and I got to meet a few military murder fans as well as some new fans that had a military background and they were intrigued by the idea like, hmm, what's this military murder thing? So I just want to say shout out to Susan who recommended today's episode. I met her at uh, CrimeCon House Arrest and shout out to longtime listener Mel, who was so excited to be there and chatting with me. That was so cool. And it was also great chatting live with Lillian and Sloan, who happened to have a military background as well their family and and Sloan works on a military base. So that was pretty cool. Well, during the times where I was alone staring at myself on the screen, I was like, oh, hell no, I don't want to be alone. So I would pop out of my virtual room and pop into some other podcasters room rooms. And that was really fun. I got to chat true crime like a real nerd actually talking to someone. I just wanted to mention all of the awesome podcasts and podcasters that I got to chat with. I was super excited to chat with Killer Queens, Military Murder News, Women in Crime, Voices for Justice with Alyssa Turney, Colts, Crimes, and Cabernet. And I also got to chat with Tyler from Minds of Madness, Esther from Once Upon a Crime, Dr. Shiloh with LA Not So Confidential, and Jamie from Murderish. But 
I want to say my favorite person to chat with by far was Bailey from Murder Mystery and Makeup. Yes, she was so awesome to chat with. We got to talking about how she got into true crime, which was the Chris Watts case, which really intrigued her. That's a family annihilator from Colorado from 2017, I believe. And uh, we also talked about Lavina Johnson. And of course, you can't talk about military murder without talking about Vanessa Guillen. One of the most fascinating things that I thought about while chatting with Bailey was this. If Lavina Johnson would have been killed after Vanessa Guillen's movement, do you think that the results would be the same? Do you think there would be the same potential cover up or do you think that the military would be more forthcoming? Remember, back when Lavina Johnson was killed, and I covered her case in episode 40, back when she was killed, true crime citizen sleuths were not as prevalent as they are today. But man, remember when Vanessa Guillen went missing? We were all on high alert, like, whoa, WTF, man, something is amiss, and we're going to get to the bottom of this right now. And of course, Vanessa's family is absolutely amazing, and they would not allow the military to trample on them. Anyway, so just some food for thought that uh, we were chatting about, the, uh, the differences between Vanessa Guillen and the Lavina Johnson case and, and all that. So I thought that was fascinating and I just wanted to share that with you all. Well, listen, that was it for now. I mean, I was just basically chatting with people. It was really lots of fun. Um, I didn't do too much of the live shows of the live demonstration, the other live demonstration shows, uh, but Podcast Row was fun and it was really nice to meet people. All right. Unfortunately, due to a prior engagement, I'm not going to be able to make it to the live CrimeCon event in Austin this upcoming June, but I will be there in spirit. And I am excited to meet everyone live sometime in 2022, which seems really far in advance, but I have a feeling that 2021 will go by quickly. So that is all. Bye.